0: So, Lisa, I hear that you and I both are new to Zwift now. <laughs> Tell me all about it.
1: Yes, I finally buckled. Well, I went for the seven-day free trial because I've been a horrible cyclist these last several months, and I was trying to find a way to motivate to get back in the saddle. So I figured I would give it a try. My first ride on Zwift was way back when it was beta testing in 2015, and then I didn't ride until last week. So... <laughs> um what, mm. I, what I noticed um, was as I went in there trying to figure it out, you know, not least figuring out that there's two separate apps, et cetera, but um, I tried to update my hairstyle from um, several years ago and noticed that there were no hairstyles that were longer than a tiny ponytail, ponytail at the back mm. and no curly hair. Um, right. And then I also noticed that they um, had what they're dubbing afro styles three of them and i did a little bit of research and noticed that that is a very new addition to swift new as in the 21st of january of this year new
0: oh my goodness like a few weeks ago new to us Uh uh-huh uh okay well we need to talk about this all this technology and are they keeping up here I'm, i'm not sure let's talk about it I'm Dr. Shauna Payne
1: Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast
0: to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, Lisa, when you start telling me about Zwift and the profile pictures and so forth, it just takes me back to my childhood. And Thursday nights, 8 p.m., we all knew that the Huxtables were coming on. And I remember this very distinct episode when Cliff Huxtable was given a keychain. And this keychain was given to him by his children, his five children, because they noticed, at least they were observant, they gave him something he could use. They observed that he was always losing his keys. And so they gave him this keychain, and the keychain was supposed to respond whenever he clapped his hands, it would beep a few times so he could find them when they were lost. Well, ironically, this keychain did not work when he clapped his hands. But for everyone else in the in the family, whether it was Claire, his wife, or his baby, the the, the fifth, the youngest, Rudy Huxtable, it didn't matter who it was. Whenever they clapped, the keychain beeped. And it just reminded me of how technology is designed to fit some people and not others and so I'm wondering if you are the cliff huxtable in this situation where you can't find any hair right
1: what's up with that yeah it might be that also makes me think of siri because no matter how differently I shout at my phone um no matter how high my voice is how low my voice is how loud my voice is siri never responds to me (laughs) ever right right right, right I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This this whole technology thing, it's so interesting because um, I, in my day job, I oversee this program that's called the Diversity and Inclusion Faculty Fellows. And it provides a stipend each year to faculty members who are doing research on really interesting topics around diversity and inclusion. And one of the fellows um, over the last couple of years, she did her research specifically on this topic that we're talking about right now, where there's particular everyday technology that we use that was not designed to respond to certain groups. And that's because those groups were not included in the design and the testing. So it really illuminated a lot of things for me, something as simple as going to the restroom, for example, and the motion detectors on the sinks to wash my hands. No wonder it took three, four or five times for (laughs) the water to actually start running. Because when I put my hands under the water, the brown melanated side of my hands, it took a while to catch. But if I turned my hands over to the fair skin part of my hands, it worked the first time every time. And so it just really makes me think through how technology and specifically now that we're talking about it, endurance sport technology is or is not designed for certain people. And it sounds like yeah, the, the hair is not designed for you here at this point. The, this is a problem.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, Zwift so far has been a great experience. Um, but as my understanding is it was um, established, created by <clears throat> white men. And so when they're designing the platform, right, they're probably not thinking about um, how do we make even our avatars of our users Um, diverse enough so that we can make sure that folks feel welcomed and represented, right? So they obviously didn't um, include any kind of hairstyle that would be relevant for an African-American person. They haven't included any longer hairstyles, right? Which is going to be relevant for folks of all gender identities. They don't have any curly hairstyles. I think they have like four colors. So it's just this really limited um, visual representation that probably represents their worldview as creators of the platform. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: you remember, Lisa, and I don't know how long it's been since then. But even with just the basic uh, emojis, for example, on our phones, and, you yes. know, whether it's in social media, for example, there were only maybe, you know, that one kind of yellow mustardy color of, of individual, and that was about it. And even that, you know, I'm like, I, I don't see myself there. I don't see a lot of my friends here. Right. I don't see anybody here. So how how do we kind of, broaden that viewpoint, at least focusing on phenotype in the technology. Now, you know, if you hold on to that emoji, then several options pop up. Like even if I'm sending you an emoji of a swimmer, I now see multiple shades of swimmers. And so given that I'm just wondering, you know, is Zwift keeping up, you know, are they keeping up with the cutting edge of what this is supposed to be? Because even when I looked up the link that you sent me, I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, I see lots of afros as far as hairstyles, but even for me, I'm not even allowed to choose that, even if it is my actual hairstyle, because it's only an option for men and not for women. So, you know, how are we really thinking through, I'm not quite sure we're thinking through the um, multiracial point of view there or the uh, gender neutral point of view, even in the technology, we've we've got a ways to go Mm -hmm. there.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's being celebrated and it is, it is an important change, but you know, to celebrate it without critique. I mean, it's 2021. This program has been around for years and they're just Mm -hmm. now um, Mm -hmm. prompted, my understanding is prompted by groups like um, black cyclist groups, diversity in cycling to do that, right? So it wasn't necessarily an idea that someone at Zwift had on their own. Um, And so it was outside advocacy that pushed them to do this. And it was the same with the emojis on the phone, right? Because there was no... um, female runner and right, so there was a runner right. i forget who it was but a female runner pushed um apple or whoever you know the emoji gods or whatever to add a female runner and obviously over time that's diversified and i noticed now that they have little emojis of folks in wheelchairs yes um, yes and, you know, or so with a the
0: walker yeah, yeah
1: so they're being mm-hmm. a lot more inclusive and now any sporting activity that historically had only had the yellow male like kind of quote unquote universal, right? Because like, right. Universal basically means men emojis. They have diversified, but again, that's not, that's not been from the beginning. That's fairly recent, like in the last probably five to seven years, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's much more recent. And so, you know, and so for us, you know, it really causes us to think about a lot of things. Like even with, let me tell you something that's, that's funny yet, not funny, especially in our age of COVID the, Emoji with a mask still predates some of the emojis around ableism, for example. Some of those were there from Mm. the outset, but they weren't there, Um, the, the emojis with a walker or someone with a cane or someone with a wheelchair, they weren't necessarily there around the same time period. So just knowing that masking was there way before even uh, some of the ableist um, emoji response came through. I think it's just really interesting to see what's been kind of the enlightenment of the designers around which identities were most prevalent based on, you know, is it a squeaky wheel gets the oil type of thing where whoever brought it to their attention first got the attention when it came to emojis or, Did they do what we, I think you and I, Lisa, would prefer for them to do? Have an inclusive design group that starts out so that they're thinking more broadly to begin with. And I'm not saying that there aren't going to be additions over time, but how can we start out thinking more broadly rather than um, being reactive? So how can we be Mm -hmm. proactive in this type of work?
1: Yeah. And I think this is a great example of what we, we talk about often is that the like whiteness and maleness of sport in particular is like baked into everything, right? It's baked into the design of races. It's baked into the design of clothing. It's baked into the design of technology. Um, you know, I read the book invisible women, which is a great book. If you're wanting to be angry, oh. um, about <laughs> how, <laughs> um, uh, women, um, are completely left out of, um, data and design doesn't do a good job around the trans community. It focuses primarily on women. And, um, but, you know, she talks about this, she has a whole chapter on sports um, software and technology. So she talks about sports watches Uh, and that the mm -hmm. software in your sports watch. So in your Garmin, in your Sinto or whatever, at least at the time that she was writing the book, which was a few years ago was software that was pulled from performance research that was based on men. Right. So all the data and the feedback that the watch is giving you, even though it asks you your height, your gender, your weight, et cetera, is still pulling from, um, you know, our understanding of what performance means that's based on like 25 to 35 year old men. Mm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So they're starting from data. I mean, it it reminds me, (laughs) it reminds me, Lisa, of a lot of the Uh, in our line of work, in higher ed administration work, um, where there's a lot of theory that has been applied that started with participants that were all white males that they think is supposed to apply to everybody. And it really does not. And, you know, so, yeah, even starting with the, the designers, the researchers, the data are all three of those inclusive. And if they're not, then we're already starting with a very minimalist lens. Right. Uh, through which to understand and design this software,
2: you know, mm-hmm.
0: the, the oh, well, you know, just get a, a 51 inch men's bike. No, that may not work for a woman. In fact, it probably won't for a woman. So given that, how can we think differently about saddle mapping? And, you know, I, I think, you know, you're bringing up a great point around how, you know, are we inclusive from the start? And I, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know with Zift, I I, I need to do a little more research on Zwift, but you know, are they doing this from the beginning? And if not, how can lots of different technology companies uh, include us from the beginning? So then they don't get the, they don't get the nice nasty emails from us, Lisa, saying, "Hey, you didn't include us with long hair. You didn't include us with an afro. How do we do this differently?" They don't have to get the nice nasty because we were included from the beginning of this process, rather than an add on. Or who wants to be an afterthought, really, Lisa? I mean. who who want we're often an afterthought when it comes to technology
1: yeah you know as you were talking it made me think of now I don't remember granted I'm a newbie and I haven't dug around that much I don't remember there being different body types so I feel like it's a generic male body type Uh, a generic female body type and it's yeah and it's it's the binary right so it's not it's not it doesn't appear to have representations that would for folks who um don't subscribe to the binary right but it also right, like right. the body type is slim um mm-hmm. so i would have to double check that but that's just from my memory today so that's a problem and then i don't think there's a bike option for someone um who isn't able to ride um, an upright bike. Right. So might need yeah. um, so, a right, handy handcyc- or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it does exist, but <clears> on <throat> my, my options, when I was looking at changing my bike frame and changing my clothing and et cetera, like I didn't see body type and I didn't see a bike that would be available for someone who um, isn't able to ride an upright bike.
0: Uh, but you know what? So <laughs> I know we're defining technology a little more broadly, but Lisa, you're reminding me of a conversation I was having earlier um, with my training partner around even the technology and style of, for example, run shoes. So, for example, I like really bright run shoes, and my training partner, she likes the really obnoxious, bright run shoes as well. And we've noticed that oftentimes, I don't care what brand it is. It could be new balance. It could be, you know, pick on whichever. And it seems that the bright colors are always the men's version of the same shoe. And we have the pink or the purple or the girly or, you know, whatever would be interpreted as a a female color traditionally. And I'm like, no, I want the obnoxious highlighter yellow that the guys have as well. And in fact, who ascribed a gender to that color exactly because I know tons of people who like those colors so and, and I I know men who also like purple and I you know so why is there a color and so I'm just wondering even in the design of the technology even with run shoes why is it that we're ascribing or limiting who has access to which shoes so now I have to figure out will this shoe work for me in the men's version in a particular size simply because I want the color Ah, that mm-hmm. shouldn't have to be the case. So I, I just think this whole, yeah. you know, endurance sport technology thing is, is very um, narrowly thought out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very narrow minded in many ways. But yeah, that's just something I, I just thought about that we talked about earlier. Um, I have no idea why that is. Um, if it's Less expensive. I, I don't know. I don't know. And mm-hmm. and usually, and we've talked about this before, Lisa. I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but you know, as far as the pink tax on certain clothing. So you right. know, the exact same pair of shoes where the same or similar technology was put into it, but because they happen to be a female color in a male-dominated sport, it costs a woman more. Wait, what? That's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So yeah, we could go on and on about, about that, mm-hmm. but run mm-hmm. shoes are, are to be included on our list of complaints and concerns here. <laughs>
1: no, absolutely. I have a, I have a run shoe story. Like I run in the Saucony Kimbara and a couple of, um well, one, they keep changing the shape of the damn shoe, which is annoying, but that aside, like a couple of um, versions ago that had this great orange and yellow, it was like orange fading into yellow and then it had it kind of like a bright blue lace Ooh, um and it was yeah, it was yeah. awesome and i think they had the same color in the men's and the women's shoes and i loved it and i was hoping that they would continue to maintain this kind of orange yellow option for women and of course the next iteration was like purple mint um and white like white <laughs> who what buys a white buys running buys shoe white? i know exactly. i know like if you're exactly. gonna run in it white is not a great color not so, at all mm-mm, yeah mm-mm. So this whole design process, right? (laughs) So who are the people doing the designs? Um, Who are they thinking is going to buy the product? I mean, I chatted with someone at Training Peaks. He wasn't an employee of Training Peaks, I think, but I I met him at one of the endurance summits. And he works in the cycling industry. And he was talking about how cycling shorts have historically been designed for male anatomy, right? So Mm. because because of the... um, uh, ability for men to just pee on the side of the road right oh yeah yeah they're yeah. not likely to pee in their running shorts whereas women don't have that same flexibility and so the style of the not running shorts sorry cycling shorts the mm-hmm. style of the pads in cycling shorts are not great for women who perhaps through necessity have to pee in their cycling shorts and it can actually lead to um, urinary tract infections and things like yes. that for women that yes. wouldn't be experienced by men. And so he was saying, yes. and I forget, I forget which bike brand it may have been specialized that was working on developing um, a, a chamois specifically in a bike short that would be um, for women to assist with that particular issue.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That Right. Because you know, for those who, who need to pee and are not going to stop and, and they're going to go ahead and handle it there. You're right. That's something to think about. Well, and even with, you know, the, the biological challenges that women face, like, you know, I remember, you know, some of the bike shorts that weren't created where it was, um, I don't want to say hypoallergenic, that's the right terminology, but you know, where the actual, um, I don't know if it's the bacteria or what's going on, you know, it's bacteria resistant material in the chamois, you know, that isn't all that old. You know, that's something that's relatively new because women had a lot of complaints about what in the world is going on here. I should not suffer like this after every bike ride um, because the material is not conducive to a woman's body and the bacteria that we actually need to stay in our bodies um you know some of that is it's not considered in the design and i guarantee you that there were some women or women that uh <laughs> biologically people that biologically needed this they were not at the table they were not invited to the table right. in the, the design which is why we are where we are at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, that, but that's one of so many, I mean, we can even go into race t-shirts. I have complained ad nauseum about these damn shirts. I think every race director that I've ever raced for is probably sick of me talking about this, but you know, it's, the question is, you know, why are there only usually two options, male or unisex, right? You know, like what what's going on here and what's the best choice to be inclusive of everyone because I shouldn't have to always ask, You know, do you want a large? They ask you, do you want a large or an extra large? I then have to ask, is it unisex or is it male? Because I guarantee you, it's not women's cut. I've only been to one race where they actually offered uni- um, women's cut in the race shirts. Um, and so I have to now ask questions and be the asshole that has to respond on the survey. Hey, get some women's cut shirts. Th- this is part of the technology of racing that's usually not considered.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't think that makes you an asshole. I think that's um, like an important piece of feedback that you should provide and if someone thinks you're an asshole for doing that then the problem is with them (laughs) oh Um, i
0: yeah i i I let it be known look those surveys when those surveys come through on monday morning for races i'm like sitting on ready waiting to respond to it because i have some things i need to say so yeah yeah
1: you know on the question of race surveys this is another rabbit hole but and there's a organ there's a race um group here in colorado that um when they send out the after email, they just say, if you have any feedback, reply to this email, you know, and like, who's going to do that? Because you reply to the email, like your name is attached to it, right? Like there's no anonymity for you to be able to say anything. And I've always thought that was just the most bizarre thing. If someone wanted to provide feedback about um, an experience of discrimination or, um, you know, another, like a volunteer was rude to them, or there wasn't enough, xyz at the aid station like then they're having to put their themselves out there right um and it's a fairly small triathlon community here so um that was always a deterrent, but I, I digress. That's a little, uh, an unnecessary rabbit hole. But, you know, when you were talking about women's biology, it made me think of periods um, and how slow the endurance sport industry has been to incorporate periods and, you know, Garmin Connect, oh, among God, others, yes. you know, has only just added a women's cycle. So you can track your cycle along with your sport. I mean, there was another app that. Um, fitter women fitter i forget f i t r i think that came out a couple of years ago but um just forgotten not important cycles don't matter because it's all designed for and by men
0: oh my goodness incredible well you know <laughs> I have to tell a funny quick story on this. I won't divulge the name, but um, my my male friend, who's one of my run buddies who I just adore, um, <laughs> he sent me a text message. This was after a holiday. I can't remember if it was after Christmas or his birthday, um, but he sent me this text message. And mind you, he is the dad to three Young woman. Uh, and so obviously, you know, there are some things about women that he intimately understands by being a really great dad. Let me give him his props there. And what was so funny was that he bought, I can't remember if it was the Garmin, but it, he bought a new watch and he kept, you know, punching a few keys here and there and so forth. And he thought cycle meant cycling, which meant that he could track his cycling because he's a really strong cyclist. And <laughs> once he got into the app, he realized oh, a women's menstrual cycle. Oh, there we go. Oh, that's great. And, and it was just hilarious to me. I mean, we cackled about it for days, but I just loved that, you know, obviously he's approaching the technology from a, ma- a male perspective and he's looking at this thinking, oh, that's very cool for the women, but that wasn't really why I bought this, this watch, you know? And so, you know, with that, I think You know, it it is going to be an interesting process for people to get used to seeing features on their app that doesn't necessarily pertain to them, but does demonstrate that other people are included because we want everyone to be included in the endurance sport world. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. you know, what does it mean when you're a man and you open up your cycling app and is it saying menstrual cycle? Are we saying cycling? What are we saying here? Um, and I just thought it was really cool that he even brought that up and felt comfortable enough to bring that up to me as a woman. I thought it was just hilarious. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, hopefully this will continue. You know, We're gonna see these improvements because people are gonna speak up, whether it's on a survey or whether it's Shauna being picky about a t-shirt, people are, will continue to speak up and technology will need to be responsive. They'll mm-hmm. have to be responsive if they expect people to keep buying it.
1: Yeah. You know, and you're just making me think of that, um, story you had told me a little while ago, um, about how group rides online, um, often require people to make their profile public and how yeah. that has a disparate effect on individuals who are concerned about their safety.
0: Yeah. Oh, thank you for reminding me about that because
1: I, truly had not thought about this,
0: but I'm always thinking about safety, but I was not thinking about this when it came to profiles and technology. So there are some events, for example, whether it's Swift or whether it's some other technology where it's a requirement that if you would like to participate, if Lisa would like to participate in this event, then Lisa has to have a public profile. Well, what if, God forbid, Lisa has been, you know, apparently there's been a sexual assault or she's been threatened in some other way or she has not felt safe. I don't want her to feel forced to have a public profile to participate in my event. So is that the event coordinator's issue or is that a part of the technology where I can't host an event without requiring people to have a public profile? I don't want people to have to feel like their safety has to be compromised in order to participate in my event. No matter who I am. And so I just think this is kind of like a glitch in the matrix that folks really hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. And part of this, and I, I won't divulge who shared this, but it brought it to my awareness that, you know, I had someone in my, in one of my circles who has been assaulted during a run. Did not want to have anything public does not want to be tracked publicly. There are some people, for example, that are public officials, maybe they work for the government or what have you for whatever reasons that choose not to have public profiles for whatever safety reasons or just for privacy. Does that mean that we're we now have to publicly exclude them? I I don't think that needs to be the case. And so, you know, I'm just asking, and I'm not the one that's the tech guru, but I think it's something to really flag that how can we look at this technology and make sure that it's inclusive without putting people at risk um, in ways that don't make them feel safe because they're just going to opt out. You know, they're they're just going to, they're not going to sacrifice their safety. They're going to opt out and not participate in that group ride or that group event because of one, it, it could be one button in the technology that needs to be switched, but it just was not at the top of someone's awareness. I think we need to consider it.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking about that in terms of, um, you know, revealing your identity in a number of forms, right? Like I'm thinking registering for races. Like what if, um, You know, in the in the in Colorado, we have this program called the Address Confidentiality Program, which allows um, survivors of domestic violence and stalking to essentially have their mail rerouted through this system. So what's publicly available is a P.O. box um, and their actual living address, home address is hidden. Um, Uh, Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've definitely encountered some online registrations, not necessarily for races. I I can't remember where they don't allow you to put a P.O. box in there. Right. Um, or if your race registration name doesn't match the credit card, right. And things like that, which then would prohibit yes. someone who's trying yes. to protect their identity, but still wants to participate because the technology, um, doesn't understand that there are these nuances. So then does that require the athlete to then go to the race director, you know, and have to identify this particular piece about them. That's very private and very sensitive. Um, right. That's something right. that just popped into my head when you were talking about that.
0: Right. Right. And, and- <laughs> You know, every time I hear those types of stories and, you know, conversations about, you know, having to have a conversation with a race director or having to send an email, what have you, it kind of feels like, and this is no shade on the medical community at all, but I could pick on lots of different uh, industries where it feels like the person that's having the, disenfranchised experience as the person that's always having to retell their story and having to be right. re-traumatized by their story. Somebody should not have to tell a race director that they've been sexually assaulted 15 years ago, and therefore I do not want my physical address here or my or my public profile on whatever technology. You shouldn't have to relive it every time. This goes into, Lisa, going way back to, I can't even remember what episode podcast, On universal design. How can technology and races and events be universally designed where we don't need people to be re-traumatized by telling you their story in order for you to make space for them? Like, I'm not interested in doing that. And it just continues to re-traumatize folks. How can we avoid that?
1: Mm-hmm. And I think I think one way to avoid it, right, is from the very beginning, right, from the planning stages of if you're developing a new software, a new app, or a new clothing style, or a new race or event, right, that from that very beginning, Beginning from the inception of the idea that you are pulling in individuals um, from a variety of genders, a variety of races, um, a variety of abilities, right? So that you can make sure rather than baking in whiteness and maleness, which is so often the case in endurance sports, you're actually baking in from the get-go these diverse perspectives and diverse experiences, and you're thinking about things that perhaps you wouldn't think about on your own, um, so that you don't then have to backtrack. Right. Which can be much more costly after you've established something, released something, you've had users using the thing. Right. To then go back and fix the problem that then is pointed out to you. Right. So I think it's way better to be proactive about this.
0: Right. When
1: thinking about, you know, all these facets of technology and design in endurance sport.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and look, I love how you use language there, Lisa, because. Here's the rub. What you just mentioned is deficit language. Again, it's acting as if the individual is problematic when actually the system and how it was built is problematic. So like, you know, going back to Susan Lakey where, you know, it is not problematic that she is deaf. It is problematic that a system has been built where she cannot swim in peace (laughs) without everyone going into panic mode because she is deaf. No, that that should not be the case. And so, given that, you know, for because I was thinking about that episode, this was a couple weeks later, you know, I swim with earplugs. So and i'm I'm not trying to yep. minimalize being deaf. But what I am saying is I do not hear very well when I'm swimming because I have earplugs in. I've got maybe one, sometimes two swim caps on top of that. I, I'm not going to hear clearly what you're saying to me during a swim. So deafness is not problematic being hard of hearing is not problematic having your hearing impaired for a short period of time is not problematic what is problematic is the assumption that people who do not have hearing or some level of hearing cannot swim safely because of the system that you've created so now we're going back to the universal design of the system it I, I, I love where you're going with the language there so I think that's the reframe with this technology is how how is the how is the system failing us not the individual athlete failing us because the athlete isn't failing right. Us. Right. Right. They're not failing us.
1: Well, yeah. And then to your point where you're like, I'm the asshole that emails the race director after the fact about the t-shirts, right? Like, no, like, again, you're not the asshole, right? Like there's a d- this deficient right in the, in the structure of the race and the, you know, swag bag or whatever, that's the problem. Um, not right. you for pointing it out.
0: Right. Right. A- and I, I never have a problem, you know, voicing my concern. I think it's just kind of, that is baked into who I am. Lisa, speaking of that language, it's baked into who I am to bring things to someone's attention. But I never miss an opportunity to speak up or because I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking around thinking I'm I'm not the only person that may have had this inconvenience or this challenge with your system. I just may be the only person that's speaking to it. And if I don't speak to it, then- you're not going to make the adjustments to the system, which is why I constantly urge people, speak up, say say what you need to say. If there's something that's been an inconvenience to you, niceness and and kindness will not change the system. And, And I'm not saying that you can't be kind or, you know, deliver your message in a tone that's palatable i'm just simply saying that silence is not going to help the system at all so what can we do to continue to have these voices use those emails you know some of my Mm -hmm. favorite race directors are the ones that invite that feedback because they want to know how every race can be better it's not just a cookie cutter we're going to do it this way forever until we go out of business well they, they want to be better. Right. So I, I think we need to have continue to have that voice, whether it's email, whether it's stopping to the side to say something to the race director or the, the event planner. But I, I just hope that people continue to use their voice in this way. So um, you and I aren't uh, the two over here <laughs> saying, um, fix your race, please fix your event. This is a problem. Do this, do that. There's nothing wrong with our athletes at all. It's it's our system. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and it makes me cast my mind back to the episode we did called Breaking the Mold with that, um, the imagery of the the Japanese um, Mm -hmm. art, right? Where something is broken and it's put back together again with gold or other metals and it becomes this new and important and special thing. Um, And so I think that that's also what we're talking about here, right? Because the mold has so long historically been male and white, um in design in technology, in development of races, in development of events um clothing, everything right that we really need to break that down and rebuild it um with a different eye to who are we wanting to include who's not at right. the table
0: right absolutely absolutely so I I think the uh, <laughs> the the homework for this week uh, would be to, pay attention to when technology or any type of system is not inclusive or you, of you or people that you're aware of people that you care about. And I know we need to, sometimes we need to start with proximity, who's closest to us. So for example, if you get that tank and you realize that uh, this tank is not going to suit all body types, or you get that watch and that watch really doesn't consider um, a different profile. So if it's a woman with long, curly blonde hair or a man with long, curly blonde hair. And so, you know, given that, I think we just need to um, have eyes wide open. So I hope that uh, people... Uh, can no longer uh, look over or look past these omissions because really we're pointing out omissions in the technology here. So I hope um, we'll take this next week to pay more attention to where people are truly being omitted by systems.
1: Yeah. And we'd love to hear from folks because Shauna and I probably haven't covered the half of it here, right? There's probably technology and design issues that are um, exclusive um, and minimizing to oppressed group's experiences that she and I are not thinking about. So if you have Mm -hmm. those as well, do email us, send us a voice memo, uh, info at unfazedpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you because I think this runs deep.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I hope that uh, we continue on with our Zwift rides. Maybe we'll get to ride together. Um, But when we do, I hope uh, the avatar I see is exactly who you want her to be.
2: (laughs) Hey, feisty folks. Jamila here, the Feisty Team Community Innovator. In June of 2020, we launched the Feisty Team to help you all stay feisty no matter what the year threw your way. Over the last six months, we've come together as a team to try and make the world a feistier place and connect with other like-minded friends in triathlon and endurance sports. We meet every month and bring in experts that can help us on the path to building feistiness in ourselves and others and create meaningful change in our sport and community. The monthly subscription is only $22 and you'll get monthly feisty huddles and webinars with expert guests, Big sponsored discounts, swag and monthly prizes, challenges to stay motivated, a community of feisty, like minded friends. Plus, we are adding new initiatives all the time, like our new book club and virtual workouts. Go to feistyteam.com to join us and become a part of the feistiest team in endurance sports so we can crush 2021 together. That is feistyteam.com.
1: Unphased, a podcast produced by live feisty media and supported by the outspoken women in triathlon summit edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay glassford email us at info at and find us on social at try to defy at dr gold speaks or at outspoken women in tri i'm lisa i'm shauna thanks for listening stay unfazed folks see you next time